This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, it seems like it was just last week when I was talking about bringing some professionalism back to our show, so I want to tell people what the topic is right at right up front so they know whether this show is going to be super interesting or just regular interesting. But I don't know what the topic is. This is for the first time ever we're doing a show where you're not telling me what the show's about. This is true. I have a show topic. And by the time we're finished with this, we'll know what it is. But it's something that happened that has to do with writing that I want to talk about. It's a very interesting experience. Um, So that's today's show topic. Also, if you are listening to this show on the day that we're releasing it, it is book birthday for Liar's Paradox. Oh, that's right. Woohoo! So I'm hoping that by the time we record our next show, I'll have started getting some reader feedback and I'll know whether I should go crawl into a hole or I should do a happy (laughs) dance. And I ordered a copy of the book from – you sent this email out where there was a way to get an autographed copy of the book by buying through an indie bookstore, and I know I did that. So have you done the signing, and is, is the shipping in process? Do you know anything about yes, that? Yes, I, I did all of that. Um, hopefully, since the 18th, most people have who ordered have received their books. Um, it was a very fun experience. I love that bookstore, and I love the crew that's running it. And so they did it. Anybody who asked for personalization, they had a little printout with the personalization. I did my best. Sometimes the notes weren't very clear, guys. You're going to have to work on that. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> if you got what you didn't ask for, I apologize. I did my best. And then there were all the books that people didn't ask for personalization. They just asked for autographs, and so those went separately. What did I ask for? I don't even remember. I don't recall seeing your name, so I think you just ordered an autographed book. But you got a personalized book, Steve. I sent one to you, so we know you're covered. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel so special, and I wasn't going to say that. But I did order a copy anyway, and I'm getting the audio book anyway because I want to hear it, even though it's not Hillary, which disappoints me. But I, I'm willing to soldier on and, and hear this version of the, the story, and I know I'll love it. You know, somebody did raise a really good point in the Facebook group where they said that it might actually be better that it's a different narrator because then they won't have Monroe in their heads every single time throughout the story. So it gives this story a chance to have these the twins and Claire and everybody has a chance to have their own voice clean slate. Yep, good point. Fair point. I can't wait to hear it anyway. I'm, I'm excited about it. Are we ready? I'm ready to find out what the topic is. Okay. So... As you all know, you've been listening to this show for a while. I have a child who recently moved into college. And when you start college, of course, there are the core requirements. And one of the classes that they, you know, ended up with this first semester is English. And uh, I really like this teacher. He's good. 
part of the assignments were to, um, at the end, toward, as the semester started ending, were to write a couple of, um, uh, I guess, fiction pieces, short fiction pieces. Uh, they weren't essays. They were creative writing. It's not a creative writing course, but that was part of it. And I guess one of the benefits of having a mother who's a New York Times bestselling novelist is that you can go to your mom and say, hey, mom, can you look this over before I submit it? And so I did. Uh, it, it was, hey, mom, it's midnight and I need to turn this in tomorrow. <laughs> and I know you're working on this deadline. Of course, those thoughts were not expressed exactly such. Um, I need you to look at this. So there I am at midnight, you know, looking over this. I, I don't even know how many words it was. It was about three double spaced pages and cleaning it up, you know, showing how, how to fix it. It was probably the easiest cleanup job I've ever done. Wow. For, for you know, how we do the hack the craft tutorials and mm -hmm. stuff. And that really puzzled me because here's something you need to know about this kid. This kid is dyslexic. This kid will do anything not to have to read. Has no interest whatsoever in reading novels. Uh, the only novels that have ever been read are ones that have been assigned by school, you know, required reading. This kid has a really hard time formulating thoughts in a sort of multi-layered structure because writing is difficult. Writing is, is excruciating. So how do we have this piece written by somebody who doesn't read and doesn't write that is cleaner and easier for me to work with than stuff that's been sent in by writers and storytellers who've been working their craft for years. Explain that to me. So I got to thinking about it. Why? Why is this? This makes absolutely no sense. Now, granted, this was short pieces. They're not full-length novels. They're not segments out of full-length novels. But the narrative arc was there. And they were not attempting to write some really in-depth thematic, you know, overview thing that a lot of the pieces that come in that I see are part of a larger story that deals with a lot more uh, content throughout. And I'm only seeing a chunk of it. So I'm, you know, I, I got to account for that too. But it got me thinking again, why, why, why? And here's where I came down, what, what I think it is, is the first is that this kid, almost all their fiction experience is through video games and manga and, you know, cartoons and, and comics and stuff, which means they see stories from a very character-centric perspective. They're not trying to impose that wide-angle movie lens on the story. So when it comes to description, they're not trying to describe what you would see on television. It's what that character saw as the character saw it, which is something that I've taught about in one of the big hack craft tutorials on Patreon, which 
I, I have not worked on those tutorials in forever, but it was one of the ones that I got up when I was starting to get working on that uh, that program about perspective and and the difference between movie point of view and first person shooter point of view. So that was one thing that I think really factored into making it easy to clean up is that I didn't have to move around a lot of stuff saying, here's where you should show this, here's where you should show that, we need to rephrase this. It was cleanup stuff like, you know, not letting the sentences run on, eliminating as this and as that. Really easy stuff. The other thing was there was no rush. And and this might be an innate story sense. I don't know. But there was no rush to tell everything at the beginning. And... I really wish that I could describe these stories here on air because it would make it so much easier to explain in very clear examples what it is I'm talking about. But for privacy and other reasons, I just can't. Um, but this, the first story um, took place in, an, in a virtual reality type scenario. And because it was short and only needed to to have a glimpse, there was no massive setup trying to backstory the whole thing, trying to explain the world. It just was. You just entered the story as it was. And anything that needed to be told got told as the story went. And there was no over-explaining, going into long, detailed history about other characters. It was as you needed to know it, the information was there. And I think that's possibly a byproduct of the dyslexic brain that is avoiding the verbiage. It doesn't want to write, so it gives you just as much as you need to make the story alive. For people who don't have that problem, we just verbal diarrhea, we just give too much uh, too fast, and it it ruins the flow and the momentum of the story. In the second, it was a situation where a family was making a, tr- a trip for what in the character's mind was a very stupid reason. Like, we're traveling to this country to see cars type thing. And, which it wasn't that, but that's that's the similarity. And there was no info dumping explanation. It was just, it started right there in, in the airport. Bam, this is what I see. This is, an, and I think my, my parents are stupid for doing this. Um, and hey, hurry, let's rush. Let's get to where we need to go. And they're traveling. And the, the, um, the movement beats were all there. It was, you know, this, this character has a younger brother. And, you know, the dad scoops the brother up. And then when they get somewhere, he hands the sleeping brother off to the mom. And these are 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 detailed. They're, they're depth of storytelling things that I'm constantly filling in in the, the fixing that I do that's just innately there. And I'm thinking, why? And again, it goes back to it's as the as it happens as the character sees it that is what it's like when you're playing video games so 
this kid is bringing video game storytelling to the page and it absolutely comes alive. It doesn't have unnecessary information. It has just enough. And in this this travel story, it, it doesn't start off saying the world is falling apart and you know, this might be the last time we ever get to do this or anything like doesn't there's none of that. But as the story progresses, you begin to learn the motives and what it is that has driven this trip, which is it's like there's nothing for me to do except clean up little sentences because the story was intact. The characters were intact. The movements were all intact. And I think that from that, we learn we can learn that when it comes to storytelling, to writing out the story, less is more. As the character sees it, as the character does it, how the character relates to it, what the character sees next. And that's how you build the story. You don't answer all the questions up front. You don't over-explain. And, and you get this piece that really just only needed the kind of tweaking that comes from experience. This is, this is a kid who doesn't write, has, has no, um, you know, literate, obviously, but where someone else might turn in a five-page essay, they'll turn it in five paragraphs, you know, because it's that much of a struggle to get it done. Um, and it's possible also, like one of the things that we did, uh, knowing that college was on the horizon and that some of the support systems that were in place in high school wouldn't be there, was invested in Grammarly. Because I've read from writers, authors who are dyslexic, that they absolutely couldn't do what they did without Grammarly, because it, it catches things that Word or other, you know, word processing software things don't. And so when this kid is working through things, they'll go in and fix stuff that Grammarly is pointing out. Now, that's not story related, but what it does is it keeps the sentences short, it keeps the grammar intact, and, and forces a, it forces you to think about the order of your words and, and such. So Grammarly might have played a part in it too, I don't know. Um, there are times when the dyslexia is so bad that even Grammarly can't understand what the poor kid is trying to say. There will be these weird words that turn up um, in the stories. And I'm like, what are you trying to say here? And then it'll be explained to me, oh, okay, it's a misspelling that got converted into a different word. Um, and, and then another thing that made it different is that kids sitting right there with me as I'm doing this. So if I have a question, I can turn around and go, what did you mean by that? So I'm not like trying to say, oh my God, there's this awesome talent on, on my hands here. Um, but I do think that the potential is there for storytelling if the kid ever became interested in that, simply because the things that are viewed as handicaps also seem to work really well in terms of writing clean prose. So that's my thing that I wanted to talk about. And now, Steve, let's discuss. Well, I'm curious, how much of this did you tell, quote unquote, the author of the story? Um, some of it, because this is the, you know, when you have a, a learning disability like this, you can tend to feel that you're really bad at everything and really stupid. And it makes the, it makes you not want to even do the work because what's the point? You're not, your grades are never going to inflect, reflect your intelligence. You work harder than everybody else just to barely scrape by and you feel stupid. So anything I can do to try and counteract that, I will. And so I did talk to them about this. 
And how was that received? Like, oh, mom, or like she believed it? It was received with a smile. And like, that's nice. Um, when, When I returned back the cleaned up piece and they're reading it, they're going, wow, this is really good. This is really, really good. And I'm like, yes, but don't you see the things that I changed are really small. It's all your words. It's your structure. It's everything. All I did was clean up stuff that this is what I do for a living. So I can spot it really easily. And yeah, there was a sense of, I don't know, pride or that's really awesome. Something along those lines. From her, there was a sense of pride? Yes. Okay. And you? For me, it was a sense of almost relief. Like, it's hard as mom to watch your kids struggle and to see the brilliance and be frustrated that the world can't see it too. Because in this world right now, everything is by what's on paper, by grades. There will come a time in life when school is not the be all end all, when that that intelligence will shine through in ways that don't show up on paper. But now's not that time. And so it's really frustrating for me as mom to only have that as the feedback in spite of what I know to be true. And so to see To see the kid be able to do something that I know is intrinsically difficult to most people and to do well at it, there's this sense of, you know, okay, we've got something, something that I can show and say, see, look, look what you're able to do. Look, look how hard this is for most people. And you just did it, you know? So there's that sense of relief. How much do you think not being a reader, not being a big reader, helped you when you started writing? It's funny because I was actually, I have so many blogs and Q&As and stuff that I'm trying to do to to promote this book that's coming out. And that's a, a, something that comes up, you know. What's the title that- of the book? <laughs> <laughs> Liar's this- Paradox, on sale, wherever books are sold. Um, so... You know, yeah, I did not have, there's that saying, you know, if you want to write, you need to read a lot and write a lot. And I did not have that opportunity. So um, I don't, I I don't know how much it affected me or didn't affect me. It it probably not reading maybe made it hard for me to, it maybe it took longer for me to recognize when my own writing started getting there good enough. Or maybe it would have been easier for me to spot it or figure out what other people were doing. But I don't know because it's well, really I, hard to do Where I'm going with this is, is do you think that you might have missed out on some bad habits by not reading? Okay, here's where I think that it did, does make a difference. And I, I actually – I'm glad you brought that up because this was one of my things when I was thinking about the piece that I edited too. Is that when you read, um, the world comes alive in your head, right? And – it comes alive in this is this vivid color and it's so much description. And so when you start writing after having read a lot, the first thing you try and do is replicate that description. Mm-hmm. And 
because what you see in your head cannot be translated onto the page and then imparted to somebody else, whoever reads what you're trying to impart when you're working through description means they're just going to see a lot of blah, 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 and be trying to get through it to get to the characters. Because really good description comes about through character movement, through time and place, and you're moving your character through this world. But as a reader, you don't realize that. And so I think when I was learning how to write, that was like one of my biggest aha moments was if, if I go back and I look at some of my earliest, earliest attempts, there's just so much of this, you know, and, and the, the leaves were so bright and green and, you know, like trying to paint this picture with words, but you can't do that. So if you read a lot, that's going to be your tendency to want to do. And by not reading, you don't realize that that's what's going on in people's heads when they read. It's really hard to explain what I'm trying to get at. No, I, I think I think that was that was well presented. I find myself when I read something that's really unique, I don't notice how unique it is until after I've finished. And I just know that I really liked it and then I'll go back and look at it and like, wow, there's like very little description in here. There's very little of this. And some of the things that you were talking about where like the author of these stories just got right to the story. There was no backstory. There's no background. It's just, here we are. We're going to look at the cars and this is stupid. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and that reminds me of another piece that I was working on recently for a promotional piece where I'm talking about how one of the most difficult things for me in li writing Liar's Paradox was that there's so much history. Like how every, every story from the time that you start those first words in the opening sentences on that first page, there is a history that came before that. Unless it's one of the rare few books where you're starting with the birth of a child. But even the birth of a child has parents, and those parents came from somewhere. So there's history. There's always going to be history. And when it's done right, the history that matters, and that's the important key, the history that matters will be woven through the story. You will, by the time you get to the end of the story, you will have a thorough understanding of who these characters are and what drives them and the past that made them who they are. No matter what the story is, there's a past and it will show up on the page somehow, usually through dialogue or through um, you know, reflecting back or whatever. And in Liar's Paradox, the difference was that the present only made sense as it related to the past. And so finding a way to, I mean, half the book is the past. So finding a way to weave those together into a continuous stream where there was no info dumping or walls of expository dialogue or what have you, that was the challenge of writing that book. And that's why we ended up with, you know, multiple chronological timelines that still kind of thematically flow into a single story. So, but most people, when they're writing a book, don't have that. What they have is this knowledge base, their own knowledge base of the characters and the character's history. And the tendency is to want to dump it all there so that the reader can can know everything that you know. So separating between what the reader actually needs to know for the characters to make sense and what you know because you know everything about this character, that's 
it's challenge. It's just part of the learning process. And um, in this case, maybe because the stories were so short, there was no room for it, no need for it, whatever, it didn't show up. I don't know what it would look like if I had to do a whole novel from the same author. So, you know, it's just this experience of seeing these pieces and gauging the amount of time I put into them versus the amount of time I put into the average piece sent in for a Hack the Craft show was shocking to me. Mm -hmm. And it caused me to start to think about trying to understand the reasons why. It doesn't mean that they, they're applicable straight across the board. It's not really a true apples to apples comparison, but it's something to think about. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a really good story. And it's, it's a great way, I think, for us to close out the year for the podcast, because as, as you guys all know, uh, these shows come out on Tuesday. This is December 18th. Next Tuesday is Christmas. And the Tuesday after that is New Year's. So I think, I think we should allow Taylor to take a little bit of a break. What do you think, Taylor? <laughs> Please let me take a little break. Please. I would appreciate it. And then we will be back the week after New Year's Day because I, as hopefully you all of us will be watching Ohio State crush Washington in the Rose Bowl on New Year's Day. I know nothing of these things. <laughs> so, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And we will be back um, after the first of the year. Be with you guys in 2019. Have fun. 